everybody, and welcome to another episode of SNESCAPADES, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, man, we have got some games today, don't we? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got at least one very, very big one, and some others that, you know, ain't too shabby. You've waited for it, you've anticipated it, and it's finally here. Rival Turf. Rival Turf. With an exclamation point. Oh, man, that, that cover is amazing. Those guys look like they are, like, 15 and go into a Halloween party. Uh, it's great. The best stock photography the 1980s had to offer, I am sure. That's right. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, please go and look up the American box art for Rival Turf. You will not be disappointed. Minutes of entertainment await you. Maybe we are uh, putting the cart before the horse a little bit here. That horse isn't going to push that cart, okay? The horse does not have hands. It's not one of those special horses. Right. Sorry, I was just picturing it now. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to get to Rival Turf in a little bit. You know, I think on the last episode, we had... The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past is number three. We're going to save that for number four today because I think we're going to have some things to say about it. We want to give that one time to marinate there. So we'll get to that one at the end. We got three other games to get through before we talk about Zelda. What else is on the docket Well, today? Uh, why don't we just get right into it? Start things off with... Raiden Trad. Raiden Trad. This is a vertically scrolling shooter. We have not had very many of those on the system so far. We've only had one, actually, D-Force. This is a much more traditional sort of example of that genre of shooter. What's the uh, what's going on with the, the history of this game? You were telling me a little bit before that there's some, some very weird sort of crediting stuff going on with this one. Well, first of all, I just want to say a uh, good choice of words there with this being a traditional shooter, because that is actually what the word trad is supposed to reference. It's oh, supposed to be short for tradition. I did not know that. This is a straight port of the original Raiden, which was released in arcades in 1990. This particular version of the game was ported to, along with the Super NES, the Genesis and the FM Towns, a Japanese computer system released by Fujitsu from 1989 to 1997. And uh, that version of the game was actually called Raiden Densetsu, which is a word that means kind of like legend, folklore, or tradition. The game was developed by Seibu Kaihatsu and published in America by Fabtech, uh, which was a small video game distribution outfit based in Bellevue, Washington, who had exclusive rights to publish Seibu Kaihatsu's games in the U.S. So they did a lot of the distribution for them, uh, getting their arcade cabinets into stores and arcades here in the U.S. They lasted until about 1999 when both companies uh, kind of went away, although Seibu Kaihatsu apparently still exists in some form. I didn't quite understand how that worked. And also the rights to the Raiden series now belong to a company called Moss, which seems to consist mostly of former Seibu Kaihatsu employees. Adding to the confusion is the fact that there are just a whole lot of ports of this game that were all handled by different companies for the most part. For the Super NES, it was published by Electrobrain with some of the duties being handled behind the scenes by Micronics, who were uh, somewhat infamous for shoddy ports, especially on the NES. They were behind the uh, Ghosts and Goblins port on the NES, for example. They were one of the, the sort of shadow developers that Capcom outsourced a lot of their early Famicom NES games to. Before Capcom was really like developing their home console games in-house, 
They used Micronics, and those ports did not turn out well for the most part. Appearing on the title screen, Electrobrain and also Toei, which I was a little bit baffled by because I couldn't find what their role in this game was. It turns out they actually handled the Super Famicom ports, and I guess they just decided to leave both companies' names on the title screen. So there you have it. A lot of companies had their hands on this at some point or another, is what I'm saying. And yeah, the the end result that you get here is, I think, a pretty decent version of Raiden. I've played Raiden in the arcades. I don't know if you have. This is not a terrible representation of it. I have not played it in the arcades, though, so I don't have a good point of comparison. But yeah, I mean, this seems all right. I mean, obviously, the graphics are better. The gameplay is smoother. This does feel a little choppy, but really, it's not too bad. It's quite playable. There's not a bunch of really egregious slowdown. It's pretty consistent, I would say, for the most part. It's fun to play. It's pretty straightforward as far as this type of game goes. I don't know that there's a ton to really say about like the way it plays, but it's a very solid version of, of this game, I think. Yeah, I did kind of like the way that the play field is actually wider than a single screen, so when you go to the left or right, the screen will actually scroll in those directions a little bit, kind of revealing a bit more of the play field. That is cool. upgrade options in this game like the weapon system is pretty simplistic you pick up a few power-ups that uh, turn your regular shots into sort of a spread gun and you also get missiles which seem to have a little bit of homing to them yeah mostly they just fan out in like this huge blanket of missiles so they're gonna just hit a bunch of stuff i think there's kind of two types of main shot there's like a bullet and a, I guess what's supposed to be a laser, it's blue and it's not as wide of a, a, a spread as what you get from the baseline weapon that you start with once it's powered up. But they're both pretty useful. I didn't really get into a situation where I was like cursing the fact that I had one main weapon instead of the other one after grabbing a couple of power-ups you really feel like just a vortex of death you really do shooting bullets that just cover the entire screen and you just feel completely unstoppable you're not it is a bummer when one of the shots gets through and you you die and then lose pretty much all of that but so it goes with this type of game and that's really the biggest flaw i think in this game is that it does have the death spiral issue and i think it's kind of pronounced here even more than in some other games where we've brought this issue up just because I do think that like this game almost deserves the moniker bullet hell where there are just intricate patterns of enemy fire coming at you and you really need to be very careful and dodge them to the point where you need to be focused more on dodging bullets than you need to be on where your shots are going, which is fine when you're powered up and your shots are basically covering the entire screen. But once you've got your little base weapon again and your shots need to be precise, it's really hard to take down a boss with that thing. That's definitely true. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting that I think we kind of dinged Gradius 3 way back in the day, the fact that you don't respawn immediately, like you go back to like a checkpoint when you die. But I do see an upside to that now, because one of the things that was kind of good about the way that Gradius did this was that it usually gave you an opportunity to collect some power-ups again before you got to, like, a boss. Whereas with this, if you're fighting a boss and you die, you go back down to your base weapon, and then the boss can kind of just chew through your lives, because there's not really a way to get back to a level of power where you'd really be able to to deal with the boss. That is an issue. That's, That's kind of a bummer, but... 
as far as it goes, I think that the game is more or less up to the challenge of letting you dodge stuff. Your ship's hitbox is pretty clear. The ship is luckily kind of small, but still pretty distinct from the background. I never really had a problem like seeing where I was, which can be an issue when there's so much stuff flying around on the screen. It sucks to to end up in a situation like that, but it's also relatively easy to play safely and avoid that. Like I said before, there isn't really a ton to this game. Uh, The aesthetic is sort of like pretty standard sort of futuristic military action. There's some good stuff with like background layering that goes on here where you're kind of flying right above like overpasses in like the second stage and you can look down through holes in the structure and see the ground below and it's it's sort of scrolling on like a different plane and that stuff looks pretty good uh the enemy design is is fine and there's not really a lot to it either overall i think this game is not bad for what it is looking at the list here trying to figure out where I think it's going to go. We've got a lot of shooters up here that are pretty high on the list and I just don't know if this quite reaches those heights. I don't think so either. Like despite the fact that I've I've said this game is playable and it is. Um it's also kind of choppy and it isn't also tremendously distinct in a lot of ways. I I wouldn't really put it up with like the best shooters that we have on the list here. I'm kind of looking at starting from D-Force and going from there because I think even though D-Force had those cool mode seven bells and whistles i didn't enjoy playing it i think it can go a little bit higher but i don't think it goes too terribly higher like i would be okay with putting it above super adventure island for example because i didn't really think much of that game i agree i think this is better than super adventure island so above that we got extra innings an okay baseball game it has some pretty good graphics actually but pretty generic kind of baseball gameplay tropes in it. I don't honestly have really strong feelings about either one. I think Super Baseball Simulator 1000 is the ceiling for this. So I think really the question is, does this go above or below Extra Innings? I do like the presentation of Extra Innings a lot. It, it's certainly a much brighter, nicer looking game with a lot more polish to it. I just don't know if I think that it's more fun. I think that Extra Innings is a much nicer looking game. It runs a lot better. But also, it's just a baseball game. I do think that that Raiden is is a little bit more appealing to me. I'm also just now thinking about the really cool title screen for Raiden Trad, and I think, you know what, I think I'm good with putting this above Extra Innings. All right, cool. I think that's a fine place for it. So uh, I guess that means that uh, Raiden Trad is going to be our new number 32 game yeah new 32 just like dc comics oh yeah that's what they did and that worked out great for them too All right so congratulations right in trad number 32 Woo. um not not quite the halfway mark but y- you know uh, better than d-force you got that going for you and hey speaking of games that are going to be greatly boosted by the fact that they don't have a lot of competition in their genre right now let's move on to our next one all right <laughs> And uh, that next one is Rival Turf, as we uh, talked about at the beginning of the show. Rival Turf. Uh, what to say about this game? It is a beat-em-up for up to two players. Uh, you can you can do co-op in this one, so that's 
pretty cool. This one also has some strange stuff going on with its its localization. Yeah, it is very strange. So Rival Turf in Japan is actually one of three games in a trilogy called Rushing Beat. All three of those games came out over here, but when all three of them got localized, they lost all of their connective characters and story arcs, so they just became three completely independent brawlers. That's so weird. I don't get why they did that. It's it's very strange, yeah, but those three games are uh, this one, Rival Turf, Brawl Brothers, and The Peacekeepers, and uh, we will be talking about Brawl Brothers and The Peacekeepers at some point. Uh, right now we're talking about Rival Turf, and it sure is a Jalico game. I think I'm coming to see kind of a, uh, a certain continuity in workmanship and, and style between Jalico games. Yeah, I will say this is the best Jalico game we've played so far. Uh, absolutely, given that the other ones, I believe, are Earth Defense Force and Super Bases Loaded, if I have that right. You are correct. Oh boy, this is better than those. This game's weird. On a basic level, this is a fairly generic brawler, and uh, you beat up guys, lots of the same guys, over and over again, either alone or with a friend, and I think uh, in in sort of (laughs) the grand tradition of this kind of game, you are trying to rescue one dude's kidnapped girlfriend. Of course you are of course you are but there's a lot of really just strange stuff about this game the localization is super weird the art in this game i think is weirdly grotesque in a way that i find kind of fun there's one kind of enemy that is like the top half of a sort of pot-bellied short guy on top of a pair of really long legs and it looks so weird i don't know what they were going for with that it's it's all stranger than than it seems like it it should be in some ways and that honestly makes this a lot more entertaining for me. The story is about as silly as, well, the game's cover art. Um, (laughs) The story stars street-tough Jack Flack, who is teaming up with his cop friend Uzi Nelson. Uzi Nelson! Uzi Nelson! That's that character's name! So here's the thing, like, I have not actually said Uzi in my head the entire time that I was playing this game because my brain was auto-correcting it because my brain is like, oh no, you meant Ozzy, right? Because yes, of course I did, but who knows? Uzi Nelson. It's like a re- rejected Toxic Avenger. Uzi is the, the the more fun character to play as, I think. He's a little heavier. He hits a little harder, I think, or maybe it's just his animations look more satisfying. Well, he, he totally does, yeah. Jack... I'm sorry, but Jack has a terrible character design. Like, he just looks awful. You know, he looks kind of just, like, tired and washed out. He does not look like somebody who should be starring in a game like this. He looks like the kind of pole who's, like, rescuing his girlfriend because he's hungry. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 100% for sure. Uh, Uzi, in contrast, looks like a magenta-suited M-Bison cosplayer? But what you said before is that he kind of looks like he's in like a village people tribute band. I would say that if somebody was dressing as M. Bison for like male stripping performance or like a Chippendale show, they would probably end up looking kind of like Uzi. And it's uh, it's good. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's reasonably fun to play in the sense that it is a perfectly functional brawler. 
It is weird looking. It's got some strange stuff with the text in the game. But it's it's also very janky. It feels like it's sort of just barely glued together in some ways. Some of it just feels like decisions were made that almost certainly had to be out of necessity. Like, okay, we're, we're out of time. We just have to ship it this way. Like, the way that health works in this game is very strange. It's something that I don't think I've ever seen in any other fighting game or brawler. The health bar seems to drain after your character gets knocked down and starts getting back up. Almost like the game's code is not calculating how much health a character has until they're getting back up from their downed animation. Let's say you're being thrown, which is a move that does just a silly amount of damage in this game. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. As you're flying through the air, your health bar stays stagnant. So you're not really sure, okay, is this going to cost me a life? I don't know. I'm gonna have to wait the few seconds for my character to start getting up and see what happens. And what this always results in is your character starts getting up. And if they're out of health, they'll just fall right back down and, and groan. And it's kind of funny, but also just, you know, it, it doesn't make for very snappy gameplay. It doesn't seem like that. That's the way that should work. If I were making a game, this feels like something I would have had to have done just because like, okay, it's good enough. If we can't do it any better than this, at least we have something working and we can ship it. But the other thing I was very annoyed by is the fact that it felt like enemies were just constantly kicking me out of combos. Like, yeah, that you couldn't just keep so. punching somebody and stun lock them like you can in a lot of brawlers. Like they would just kick me and, and I would suddenly not be able to move anymore. And I would have to either jump out of the way or wait for them to down me. The way I made the most progress in this game, once I realized that you couldn't really stun lock enemies properly, was just by doing the like elbow jump jump move over and over again because it wasn't a stun lock but it did so much damage that a couple of connecting hits with that would just down most enemies yeah it felt like the only smart way to fight was to just kind of cheese everything by constantly doing jumping attacks so that i could get in and out really quickly other than that this game has a couple of options you can actually turn the friendly fire on and off which is kind of nice you can make the game a little bit easier by just turning it off it's also got a setting called anger mode which if your character is low on health and it's about to lose a life, they will temporarily get a boost of strength and I guess making them invincible for a few seconds. Uh, they'll start flashing and they'll be able to do more damage that way. I don't know. I turned it off when I played, not knowing what it was. And then when I checked back, I was like, oh, I should have left that on. It sounds like it would have made things a little bit easier for me. I think you get five continues in this game and that's sort of it. That's generous enough that like even not playing super well, I was able to get through like three whole levels of this game. Which is fun because the first few levels, you're just like inexplicably fighting your way to a stadium, through a stadium, and then through like, I guess, a construction site. And then inexplicably, after you beat up a dude that just sort of looks like Casey Jones from the Ninja Turtles, you just jump in a helicopter and go to South America and then you're fighting guys there instead. And the story was completely taken out of the American version of this. Like, there's no cutscenes in this. So there's no explanation for why you've just gone, you know, down south to, to fight some guys in a jungle. game keeps track of how many dudes you've beaten up and it sort of acts as a almost like a special meter in a way yeah it's like your special meter you get these little icons of their faces above your health bar you can use those to do super moves which is good because sometimes you just need to clear out the area around you when i was playing as jack it was just sort of like a little twirly kick that didn't seem to 
do a whole lot for me. And I was like, I burned, you know, like 10 guys worth of meter and that's that's all I get for it? Come on. Apparently that actually has a secondary mechanic to it as well, according to the cutting room floor. If that meter is at a certain point at certain areas of the game, you can actually use secret warps in this game. Although oh, really? apparently one of them is broken because this game has jank. I didn't engage with any of that stuff at all. I just read about it after the fact. That's interesting. I did not have any idea this game had anything like that. Yeah, no, I mean, neither did I. And I, I wouldn't have if I hadn't read that. But anyway, other than that, this game is really wanting to be a kind of final fight thing. Jack's your nimble every guy and Ozzy's your, or, sorry, Uzi is your slower wrestling move user. It does have the, the co-op up on final Final Fight. That's one thing that that Final Fight on Super Nintendo did not manage to do. Uh, but like you said, it's pretty janky in a way that Final Fight just isn't. Playing this game did make me appreciate more what Final Fight was able to accomplish visually on the Super Nintendo. It is a really good looking game, and it is very faithful to the visuals of the arcade game. It's actually kind of made me think a little bit more highly of Final Fight in hindsight, which is... Well, it's probably not a great thing for this game, but, you know... On that note, do we just want to start going into the list here? Because I think the 500-pound gorilla in the room is, do we think this game is better than Final Fight. It does have co-op, and being able to play a brawler with a friend is huge. Final Fight has that polish to it that just makes it look really slick that this one absolutely does not have. Does the two-player co-op alone make up for it? To some extent, it does. It helps a lot, for sure, but... I think the fact that it is quite amusing in some way kind of does make me think more fondly of it. Games from this time period do trade in kind of um, like a like an 80s direct-to-video movie aesthetic. But this one actually feels, in terms of quality, like it is one of those as well. This one feels sort of shaggy and rough in a way that actually reminds me of those kinds of movies more to some extent. And I don't know if that's good or not, but it's it's interesting. I think maybe there's an argument that, that this is a more fun brawler in some ways than the Super Nintendo version of Final Fight that we have right now, even with the jank. I don't know. What do you think? Because here's the thing. I'm looking right above Final Fight at number 20, which is Super Smash TV. I think I would rather play Rival Turf with somebody than Super Smash TV with somebody. Or at the very least, I think that we would have fun longer playing Rival Turf over Super Smash TV. After Super Smash TV, we get into some tricky territory because we've got Populous at number 19 and Draken at number 18. And these are harder to compare to something like Rival Turf. Though, I mean, I will say like Draken also seems to suffer from a lot of jank. And I think it suffers a lot more as an experience for it than I think Rival Turf does. I would even put Rival Turf as high as number 18 above Draken, maybe. I would probably say that Super R-Type is a ceiling for this game. Definitely don't think it touches Joe and Max. So I was going to say like Super our type would be the last one I would even have a conversation about. And I think you're right. I think it can go below Super R type. So it sounds like we've got a new number 18. Rival Turf, number 18 on the list. And I guess with that, we're going to move on to our next game. So uh, here we are, folks. We're out in sunny California. We're getting ready to hit the links here at Pebble Beach. 
Yep, uh, I feel relaxed. I feel good in my golf hat with, you know, my, the visor on it. I am wearing pants that will almost certainly get me thrown out of this country club. You know, it was it was worth it, I think. You know, like, weird pants used to be a golf thing, but now I feel like you can't get away with that outside of, like, the curling world. And it's a shame. It's a shame. It really, really is. It really is. This is actually True Golf Classics. True Golf Classics Pebble Beach Golf Links. Mm, smoky golf links. Mm-mm-mm. So, uh, what did you think of this one? I liked this one. So, this game is in many ways very similar to True Golf Classics uh, Wildlife Country Club, which we played uh, a little uh, a while back. It does a lot of the same stuff with kind of like a pseudo 3D presentation with a lot of different information on the screen, lots of meters and little things you can adjust to make sure you're you're doing exactly what you want to with the ball. This is a TNE soft game, so it has the same uh, kind of system for hitting the ball. Is this just our straight up first sequel to a game that we've already covered on the show? Yeah, I think it is. It, for all intents and purposes, this is the sequel to True Golf Classics Wildlife Country Club. And I think that this really kind of polishes up a lot of aspects of how the game is presented and how it plays. Uh, little things, not not anything really major, but I think it all really comes together in a good way. And um, I would say that personally for me, this is the most fun I've had playing a golf game on the Super Nintendo so far. I do agree with you that this takes the formula from Wildlife Country Club and improves on it. I felt like uh, transitions between screens while the ball was in the air was way less choppy, felt a lot better. For sure. And if the look of it is much less grainy. So it was easier for me to tell where the ball was and what it was going to do in a way with this one that uh, was not really possible for me at least with YLI Country Club. It's, it's PC origins are a lot less obvious here than they were in YLI Country Club. Even like the digitized photographs just kind of looked better in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, combined with you know the kind of very nice sort of like blue sky aesthetic and the gentle relaxing music, this was just a very, a very chill game to play. Uh, this game does have a lot more music to it. It's actually got music playing throughout, which uh, given how you feel about the original game's bird songs may be a a good thing or a bad thing, in your opinion. I'm fine with the way this works. Like, the thing with the the red dot moving across the ball is a little weird. It's a little bit conceptual in a way that is maybe awkward at first, but I got into the swing of it pretty pretty easily, and... um, I had a good time with this. This is where I think we're going to have a bit of a disagreement on this one. You know, when we were talking about PGA Tour a few weeks ago, I think I was lamenting the loss of the red dot system on the ball that denotes where your club is going to make contact with it. This is a really nice, precise thing. It still involves some skill because you want to time it just right. But after having played PGA Golf Tour and kind of getting the feel for the triple click system, I kind of get it now. And now I see why that became the standard. It's so snappy. It just keeps the game moving. It just feels right. That's fair. Yeah. The other thing, though, that I really didn't like about the meter here is that it doesn't just 
fill and then slowly drain, it fills and then it starts from zero again. That is weird. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Which means like if I'm trying to drive the ball from the tee and I'm a little bit too slow on hitting the button, I might end up just gingerly tapping the ball instead of just hitting it in 98% rather than 100. That's not good. <laughs> you know, like I'm just gingerly tapping the ball off the tee. Yeah. That just seems straight up poorly thought out. I would agree with that. Yeah. When we were talking about YLI Country Club from 1991, you know, we were kind of talking about how cool it was to be able to play on a representation of an actual golf course. But now that that's happened in multiple games and including games where it's now common to see more than just one course, it loses its luster a little bit here. That's a very fair point. I don't think that this being like a, a representation of the real Pebble Beach golf course is really something we can put as like a thing in this game's favor because yeah you're right this is a thing that multiple games have done and yeah PGA Tour golf did a lot more of this than uh than just having the one the one course so I think that what we're sort of looking at here is is just two extremely different approaches to how to to represent golf in a video game this one gives you just like scads and scads of different like little things to adjust you can adjust your foot position and you can adjust you know literally where on the ball you're you're hitting to me that all sort of contributed to this feeling like a pretty relaxing experience which is sort of what i i really vibed with that i don't know that you've you've necessarily convinced me that pga tour golf is is better than this but i do find it very hard to argue with any of your points well why don't we take it to the list it's, it sounds like we are in agreement on one thing and that's that this goes above true golf classics wildlife country club at number 28 yeah i agree with i think that's pretty clear uh it's a superior sequel to an existing game since i know you probably want to put this above pga tour we'll we'll just go ahead and say that yeah this this goes above lagoon at 27 so that we can get straight to pga tour at number 26 yeah i think that in terms of forward thinking new ideas for how to play golf in a video game and in terms of like the scale of how many courses and how much stuff there is to do in it uh pga tour golf wins on both those counts whereas my reasons for liking this game you know the the polish the presentation those systems that you you play the golf game through it's more subjective it's more idiosyncratic so given that i think i am actually okay with putting this right below pga tour golf when i say it's snappier like i don't mean to say that i think it's more intense or that pga golf tour isn't also a pretty chill experience because i think it is i think presentation wise it doesn't do quite as much as the true golf classic series has done up to this point but i also think it's cramming a lot more content in there. Yeah, totally. I do just think that the triple click system just has an ease of use that just feels so good. It's it's hard for me to rewire my brain now after playing PGA Golf Tour back to the idea that, okay, no, I got to be patient. I got to wait for the 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 ball icon to come up and wait for the positioning of the dot on the ball. And no, I agree with you. And I think that this placement does make sense. So that would make True Golf Classics... Pebble Beach, 
our new number 27 game. So once uh, we got we got another clump happening here. We got Hal's Hole-in-One PGA Golf Tour and uh, yeah. um, True Golf Classics right in one clump. We keep clumping our sports. We clump those sports right up. Just, just wad them up into a, a big mass of, of sweaty guys in various kinds uh, of athletic wear. Various athletic wear and funny pants. That went to a bad place. I'm sorry. <laughs> and speaking of funny pants, <laughs> I, I don't I don't have anywhere to go with that, actually. In this one, he's got more like a funny hat than anything else. But that does mean that it is time, finally, for us to talk about The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. So, this is one of those Zelda games. Yeah, you know, you might have heard of these. There's a few of them. They keep making them. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial. Uh, I think these Zelda games are pretty good, it turns out. I think these Zelda games are all right. So, it's interesting. We grew up in the era when this system was was out. We played a lot of games on it as they came out. We have both got very strong personal memories with a lot of games from this system. But I don't believe either of us had really spent much time with uh, with A Link to the Past before we played it for this show. No, I, I definitely have not. Uh, this is really my first time playing it in earnest. And the uh, thing is that I didn't play any of the Zelda games back when I was a kid because they just looked really intimidating to me. I remember watching a friend of mine play the original Legend of Zelda, and it looked really cool, but I just remember thinking, like, I have no idea how he knows to do any of this. How does he know to go in there? This all just looked way over my head and just intimidated me to the point where I never pursued these games. I don't even think it was until like the Wind Waker that I started going back and thinking like, you know, I'm going to give these Zeldas a try. And I think at that point I got the reissue of Ocarina of Time for the GameCube. And I played through that and I was like, oh, there's something to this. This was really, really amazing. And then I played Wind Waker and I really, really liked that. As for me, I never played the original Legend of Zelda, but my cousin had a copy of Zelda 2. And I, I played that quite a bit and then spent a lot of time watching him play it. I never got that far in that game. I I find that game extremely inscrutable in some ways, less so now than I did back then, but it is one of those weird sequels that Nintendo would make back in the day that was just far afield from what you would expect from it. So even though I hadn't played the original Zelda, uh, I I had a lot of trouble getting my head around sort of a lot of what you were supposed to do to progress in Zelda 2. And then... um, I didn't play this one because I just kind of missed it. You know, I didn't have a Super Nintendo until a little bit later on, and I didn't know anybody who had this game, so I never really saw it and didn't really know kind of what it would be like. So I didn't I didn't have any kind of like real excitement for Zelda because I just didn't have any context for like what these games were really. Um, and then I did play uh, Link's Awakening, the Game Boy one, when they they did the Game Boy Color re-release of that, uh, and I liked that game a lot. I never finished it, but I enjoyed it quite a, a great deal. And then when the 3D ones started coming out, uh, I played Ocarina of Time. I played Majora's Mask. Uh, you know, I, I I was in on the, I was in for the series once they did the move to 3D. But uh, I had never played this one, and playing it now, that seems like a really remarkable hole in my gaming knowledge, because I feel like this is sort of the equivalent of watching like a classic movie that everybody references, and you didn't realize that 
all the things that they were referencing were references because you hadn't seen the movie. In a way, as I'm playing through it now, I'm kind of wishing that I had played it as a kid because I think that my fears about, you know, the game kind of being intimidating and impenetrable are kind of fixed in this one. Not completely, but to a pretty good extent that I think that even for somebody who is intimidated or just doesn't like bothering with those kinds of open-ended games, this one wouldn't be that bad. It's It signposts you very well. You're free to explore just about anything from the outset, but it always kind of takes you back and says, hey, when you're ready to get on with the story, this is where you need to go. And it's really good about that. And it also provides um, hints in case you do get a little bit stuck. There's actually like a character you can go to that will just tell you what the next thing you should do is. It's like a fortune teller, which is a really smart thing for a game like this to have. I'm honestly kind of surprised at how many sort of player-friendly uh, touches there are in this game. Like, there's a fast travel system in this game. That seems like such a modern thing, that to, to have that just sort of show up in this game and be very convenient and well thought out is, is pretty impressive to me. One thing that I think is really impressive about this is that there's a lot going on in this game. Like, there's a lot of interactions that you can have with the world. It never feels unnatural when anything happens. Like, it always kind of just feels like this is just the world of the game and it all just sort of works together, which is a pretty tough magic trick to work out, to make a game that is complex but feels simple and feels very straightforward. And the more I played of it, the more of those touches I found. This game kind of blew me away in a lot of in a lot of senses this game really does give you free reign to just kind of walk around like it really did kind of give me flashes of like breath of the wild and i could almost see you know like how they might have drawn inspiration for different things in breath of the wild from this game one of the things i've always sort of been given to understand about this game is that it kind of set the path for the way that zelda games would be structured basically up until breath of the wild which kind of went in a much a much more open-ended direction but i actually think this game does a lot of that stuff even better than something like Ocarina of Time. Like, I honestly, looking back on it, there's a lot of stuff that is done in this game that is then just done again in Ocarina of Time that I don't even think Ocarina of Time does quite as well as this. There's a boss that you fight relatively early on that you can kill with the new item that you get there, but you can also just throw bombs at it. Just making that discovery that, like, a thing that makes sense that it would be able to to damage it can do that just made the the world feel like a lot more alive to me in a way that was really impressive it's not a huge world map but it's very dense like there's lots of cool secrets to discover you know a lot of clever level design within the individual dungeons and it all just works together so well yeah i also think the game paces itself really well like i said you're you're given free reign pretty early on to just kind of explore the world but there's another half of the world there's the dark side of the world or whatever it is that they call it yeah yeah you don't even realize exists at first. And then you catch a little glimpse of it at one point. Which is a very, very clever touch, yeah. It is a very clever touch, but the game also very cleverly kind of boxes you into one area before it kind of sets you loose in the in the dark version of the world. Kind of giving you a little sneak peek of what's to come. And then you go back to the light world, you finish up a few other things, and then you can kind of travel between the two 
more or less freely. And that's when, you know, like the second act, if you will, opens up and you're given eight new things to go out and do in the dark world. Once I kind of discovered the mechanics of the dark world and things started clicking into place at that point, and I started realizing like, okay, I really want to go around and poke at the world and, and try and find some things. I didn't do a lot of side questing up until the point that like I cleared the first four main goals in the light world. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, I can go out and do more. I think I was kind of reading some things wrong. And this is where I get, maybe get into some of my nitpicks with this game. So at one point, I had to move one of the blocks, you know, kind of like the sliding blocks in the original Legend of Zelda, where you just have to move one of the blocks out of the way to access something or to open a door. Link does a little animation where he's trying to lift something. But I was reading that as he was trying to push something and was unable to do it. So I was reading that as I can't move this. And that had me kind of backtracking and going through and and trying to figure out what on earth I could be doing wrong until I finally read a guide and just realized I was pushing the wrong button. Things like that happened to me a couple of times in the game as well. Like you go to confront the game's sort of secondary villain and he retreats out of the room into like this this other area and you're supposed to follow him into that area what i couldn't really figure out was how to actually do that it turns out you're actually supposed to use your sword to slash at the curtains at the top of the room in a particular place to get through and for some reason i just wasn't lined up quite right to do that so i didn't think that was working so i went and like explored a whole bunch of other stuff and tried to figure out like if i was missing something else Wait, in that did it, dungeon did it let you leave that room because i thought you couldn't well no you, you, what you can do is is uh use the magic mirror to warp yourself back to oh. the start of the dungeon which i did and then did a whole bunch of stuff got back there and encountered just the same issue and at that point yeah i also looked up a guide okay it's like okay apparently i can slash the curtains that kind of stuff does happen and i mean any game that's like pretty dependent on figuring out little puzzles and secrets can unfortunately run afoul of that so but you know something that i think back on is a game like super metroid where i feel like it does a very good job of signposting when you have what you need to to clear a puzzle and when you don't if you use a weapon on a certain wall and it turns into to a block with an icon on it that gives you a hint right there okay i I don't recognize this so that is true but i will say i had exactly the same kind of problems when i played super metroid okay uh which which is also a game i didn't play when i was younger i only played super metroid for the first time a couple of years ago i guess just because like the legend of zelda link to the past does give you free reign so it's incredibly likely that i'll end up in a scenario where i probably can't get that piece of heart that i'm seeing over there yet i maybe need something else instead of trying to find a solution to it and banging my head against the wall only to realize oh i can't get that yet or vice versa leaving it behind only to realize later that, oh, hey, the power to get that was inside me all along. That's right. Yeah. I wish that there was a better way of signposting those things. And I don't know what that system looks like. I think of something like Super Metroid, but even that isn't perfect. This game just has like a really great visual style and and musical style to it that just feels very warm and inviting. Like this is just like a world that I want to spend time in. I think the game is also quite funny in some places that I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be. There's like this this secret room that I found where uh, there's this spooky 
altar that you can sprinkle some magic dust on. And this little demon will show up and curse you if you do that. But the thing he curses you with is that your magic costs half as much energy to cast. So it's like, like, yeah, I really gotcha. <laughs> it's like, yeah, buddy, you got me. Stuff like that is just very charming little details that fill out the world. The localization team did a really, really bang up job with the dialogue in this game. I really feel like I'm getting the sense of what the author's intent was here. Like if something is supposed to be humorous or if something is supposed to be a little bit more dramatic, like that all comes through really, really well. It does. And there's even some kind of pretty like emotionally effective scenes, things that I was really surprised worked as well for me as they did. Uh, We can both talk about like kind of particular annoyances with it because there are some for sure. But overall, I'm, I'm personally just, I'm really impressed with, everything that this game pulls off me misreading some stuff early on got me frustrated almost to the point where i almost bounced off of it but once i figured out what i was doing wrong and then you know learned a few more mechanics everything just really started clicking into place yeah do we want to start talking about the list and where this might go yeah i think so i mean obviously we're looking at the upper end of the list here why don't we start with final fantasy 2 i want to have that conversation because i really don't know off the top of my head if i think this is better than final fantasy 2 right out of the gate or not i am gonna say i do think it's better than Final Fantasy 2, partially because I think this feels like an extremely coherent and extremely fleshed out version of what it's trying to be. And Final Fantasy 2, I do think that you can kind of feel that there's elements of it that just aren't quite done cooking yet. I think the way Final Fantasy 2 kind of handles its gatekeeping as far as like how much of the world you can access, it does some clever things very much like what The Legend of Zelda does. Like, okay, you've got a whole airship, you can explore the whole world, but oh, there's a whole other world underground. I think that's done really well. But I definitely think that The Legend of Zelda has a little bit more polish to it than Final Fantasy 2 does, even though I love the monster designs in Final Fantasy 2. Yeah, so it goes above Final Fantasy 2. Then we've got Super Castlevania 4. And here is where I think, as pretty as The Legend of Zelda is, I don't think its presentation is quite as just colorful and and that it just pops in the same way that Castlevania 4s does. You see, I'm not sure I would quite agree with you. I mean, obviously, they're they're doing pretty different things. Super Castlevania 4 is, in a lot of ways, it's really kind of showing off what the, the Super Nintendo hardware can do in a lot of ways. But I do think that there's some really effective stuff in A Link to the Past with regards to the way it, it uses, like, especially, like, its color palette and, you know, its, its sound design to communicate tone. Thinking about, like, kind of just how different it feels to me to explain explore the dark world versus regular Hyrule and how much of a relief it feels like every time I I go back to Hyrule. Uh, and also, there I mean, there are little touches, but but some of the stuff that it does with the layers in the dungeon. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, that is really well communicating, done. Communicating, yeah. like, where you can, like, fall down to a different level uh, versus what's just going to be a pit. No, I, I still think presentation-wise, I think maybe I'm still a little bit hotter on Super Castlevania 4, but I think gameplay-wise, I'd probably rather keep playing The Legend of Zelda than Castlevania 4. 
Uh, it's it's definitely a much friendlier game. In some ways, that's really kind of what it comes down to for me, because we're comparing two incredibly good games here, right? I honestly think that the amount of mystery and the level of detail in the environments in The Legend of Zelda, like the, the, the sense that there's always something else you might find. And regardless of the fact that the game is, is sort of just a, a much lengthier experience than Super Castlevania 4, the fact that like the dungeons keep introducing new, new kind of gameplay ideas and new kind of little puzzles to solve altogether, I feel like there's just more to it than there is to Castlevania. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree with you there. It, it's hard because I I really do think a lot of Castlevania Four and and just I I really think that the folks at Konami just went all out with that in a way that like they it, they didn't need to. Castlevania feels like it's so much more than it needed to be to be a serviceable Castlevania game on the Super Nintendo. And, and the other thing, you know, it's it's so predictable, right? That of course Legend of Zelda is going to go above Castlevania, and and you know, part of me wants to make an argument that it doesn't belong there, but I don't think I can. I mean, if you sincerely want to make the argument that, that Super Castlevania 4 is a, is a better work of crap. I mean, I, I honestly don't think I can. The Legend of Zelda is just this this really intricate puzzle box, and I just want to keep poking at it, and I, I'm just compelled to keep playing it in a way that I'm not quite compelled with Castlevania 4. You know, the, the, they're both very good-looking games, and at the end of the day, yeah, I would rather play Zelda just because I, I know there's so much more for me to kind of tinker with. Okay, so this goes above Super Castlevania 4. And then we got to have the conversation. The eternal matchup, really, in some ways. Super Mario World versus A Link to the Past. Having looked at both of these games pretty extensively, and to be clear, I have a much longer history with Super Mario World. That being said, I still think Super Mario World is the number one game. I don't think Zelda surpasses it. Partially because, so okay, these are both games that really were made by a lot of the very same people. And I think in some ways they they do kind of similar stuff in different ways. But I, I do think that because there's so much more going on in Zelda, it does lead to some of those frustrations that don't exist in Super Mario World, which is also kind of a vast, puzzly thing where you can sort of poke around and find different secrets, and it's doing a lot of effective but not super showy stuff with, you know, what the Super Nintendo can do. And I don't think there's any time at which playing Super Mario World becomes unfun, whereas there are situations with Zelda where you keep dying on the way to a boss in a dungeon or you're you're stuck and you can't figure out what you're supposed to do next and it's it's something very simple that you just don't realize you can interact with the world in that way. Those situations just don't exist for me in Super Mario World. That's where I would I would sit on that. What what do you think? I think I agree with you there. I, again, it's it's almost unfair just because it's difficult to know like what the foolproof way of making a Zelda game would be where you can clearly signpost with it. Yeah, mean, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe that maybe that doesn't exist. I mean, maybe that's just endemic to what those games are. Yeah. Exactly. And I will say that, you know, those people out there for whom the original Legend of Zelda was just too big an undertaking because you're just given too much freedom from the outset. I think that 
a Legend of Zelda Link to the Past has a really good balance in place there with those little waypoints on your map that tell you where you need to go next without restricting you from exploring and things like that. I think it's a really good balance. It's one of those things where it's like, I almost feel bad saying that I don't think this game goes above Super Mario World because of something that's just going to be inherent in the genre. And it's something that you know, you're, you're either going to be game for or you're not. This is sort of like, I don't know, what's a better album? Uh, Pet Sounds or Revolver, you know? Like, they're they're both very, very good. They're both great. I like that you went with Revolver there instead of Sgt. Pepper's. Revolver's a better album. I'm going to say that on here. People can get mad you know, at me no, if they you know want, what? You but... know what? I'm not even going to argue that. No, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, just, I always hear Sgt. Pepper versus Pet Sounds, but uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> That's great. I, I love it. But love it. play either one of these games. You're going to have a great time. But for the purposes of of us with this list that we're making, I think I would still put Super Mario World above A Link to the Past. Yeah, I think I would too. As much as I have really enjoyed my time with A Link to the Past, and, and I'm probably going to keep playing it, um, I, did, I did suffer from some frustrations early on that almost caused me to not want to keep playing it, that I definitely do not remember having when I first popped in Super Mario World. I think for now, at least, Super Mario World will remain at the top, and uh, The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past will have to settle for number two. So, congratulations, Link to the Past. You are now our new number two game, which, at this point, with this list, is a real accomplishment. Uh, You know what else this means? Uh, That with the addition of A Link to the Past, we have got 50 games on our list now we do we have 50 games this is a pretty big milestone here um we got super mario world at number one we got pit fighter at number 50 uh what do we have right in the middle here we got uh hey it's still john madden football at number 25 how about that okay <laughs> the Great. eternal middle Good. child john madden <laughs> i'm looking at you know below the list and it's like there's some golf games under there that we both enjoyed there are more good games on this list than bad, so... Absolutely. I would say that you don't get into, like, real bad games, really, until the the bottom ten of the list. Right? Yeah, so this is all just to say that, you know, anybody who's really upset about The Legend of Zelda not being at number one, which I, I am sure there will be some people out there who are just livid about that, keep in mind, it is in very good company. Like, there are games far below it that are very, very good. So try to, to temper the anger and, and just remember, we're, we're all friends here and these are all great games except for pit fighter which is horrible yeah pit fighter is just bad don't play it i think that's gonna do it for us for today okay that you know what that wasn't as difficult as i thought it would be yeah i'm kind of relieved honestly uh i was sort of worried that we would end up in another kind of endless circular discussion like we did with final fantasy 2 and uh i feel pretty good about something we're gonna be talking about next week too oh what do we got what do we got going on next week okay well uh see if you can guess which one it is that i'm excited about uh we've got all right top gear world league soccer zardion and Mario Paint. Hmm. Uh, it's a soccer one, right? You're really, you're really excited for a new sport. Uh, you got me. I'm just, I'm just a sucker for those footballers, you know. Mario Paint, though. Mario Paint, right? That's, that's what. We're yeah, doing. I'm, I'm real excited to talk about Mario Paint. I've got, I've got some real cherished memories connected to that game. So it's a great one. It's really cool. Nothing else like it uh, on this system or really, I think almost any other console at this point yeah please uh join us next time for for that thank you all so much for being with us on this journey 50 games in 
the journey continues. Yeah, so I guess at this rate, uh, let's see, this is, um, oh, this is Lucky 13. Ooh, very nice. So that means in 26 episodes, we'll have 100 games on this list, maybe? Thank you all very much for listening. And, uh, hey, you know what? I've never said this before, but I should have. Emmy, thank you for, for being here and for doing this with me. You know, thank you, Steampunk Link. Uh, you, you do a lot of work to uh make this all happen and you know it is uh it is great being here with you every week and discussing these games all right well well thank you thank you for thanking me and thank you all again and hopefully you've all thanked us and if you have thank you for thanking us thanking you until next time i'm steampunk link i'm emmy zero play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Here's, here's my headcanon now. Here's my headcanon. Uzi has totally told Jack, yeah, I'm a stripper. And Jack's just like erased that from his memory. And is just like, oh, no, he's a cop. He's like, no, I told you I dress up as a cop when I'm stripping. Like, yeah, right. You're a cop. I don't even understand what, what we're arguing about here. Like, Jack's just that kind of jerk. Yeah, Uzi's just out here trying to live his best life, and yet he's still going to take the time to help his friend rescue his girlfriend. Like, yeah. that's the kind of cool dude Uzi is. Uzi's very cool, and um, if you play this game, you should you should play as Uzi, I guess is what we're saying. Uzi for Smash is what Uzi I'm saying. Uzi for Smash, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's, that, fifth, uh, that fifth character <laughs> that still fifth hasn't character. been revealed. It, it, there's still time. It could happen.